Is depression funny? It's funny when I read something um, about depression that I immensely relate to, and I'm like, I've I've been there before, and that's like, and there's something about like the specificity of that joke that tells me that like, oh, this person has also experienced it, and like we are bonding over this thing together. Doc says there's something wrong with me. I got a sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take now? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. We're going to do two things differently than we usually do on this episode. We're talking to an unusual type of guest who is not a stand up comedian or musician or actor, he's more of an engineer. And we're going to tell his story in a kind of unusual way. We're not going to follow a traditional chronological timeline. We're going to have fun, and we're all going to learn something. So buckle up. Let's ride. My name is Johnny Sutton. I am sitting in a very lovely, comfortable recording studio in Los Angeles. What do you tell people is your job title? I try to avoid it as much as possible, (laughs) I think, because I I don't know. Like, I think I exist um, as a lot of, like, slashes, like... Um, academic slash writer slash comedy person maybe slash illustrator I think is kind of where I sit right now all those slashes yeah guitarist (laughs) for Guns N' Roses slash (laughs) Johnny Sun is the author slash illustrator of the book everyone's an alien when you're an alien too it's about a cartoon alien sent to earth to understand humans which he tries to do The book sprang from very popular tweets along the same lines. Johnny has well over a half million followers on Twitter. He's writing for TV shows, he's writing a movie, and collaborating with Lin-Manuel Miranda, which is kind of amazing given that he spent the last several years studying architecture and urban studies at Yale and MIT. Johnny doesn't have stand-up clips we can drop in, so we enlisted other American public media voices to read some of those tweets. Look. Life is bad. Everyone's sad. We're all going to die. But I already bought this inflatable bouncy castle, so are you going to take your shoes off or what? If you think of your heart as an egg, then perhaps you can convince yourself it was meant to break for just long enough that something new can grow. SimCity is the perfect metaphor for life because you have no idea what you're doing, yet people keep giving you more and more complicated jobs until you die. The stuff Johnny writes on Twitter is often this kind of amalgam of sad, confused, optimistic, and funny. Never be sad about the past. It has already happened, and you cannot change it. Instead, focus on what truly matters, being sad about the future. On Earth, a magician puts his hand in his hat. In the rabbit realm, the hand emerges. It is time. The Rabbit Council must choose the sacrifice. Johnny's son grew up in Toronto. He lives in the U.S. now, and he's first-generation Chinese-Canadian. He's often written from the point of view of an alien because he has often felt like one. 
whenever I think about like that idea of alienness and sort of feeling alienated, um, I think a lot about like kind of the number one, the idea of like being um, like an Asian Canadian or an Asian person in North America and sort of that perpetual foreigner, perpetual outsider thing. For a while, it wasn't something that like I really considered um, as like not uh, or as like something different um, that other people didn't have to experience. Um, but lately, I've been more and more aware of the fact that like that sort of perpetual foreigner, perpetual outsider thing um, has really kind of influenced like um, like who I am and kind of the way I think and um, a lot of my own like anxiety and depression. And yeah, he has a history of depression, but he didn't know that when he was younger. All he had then was an innate sense that who he was was wrong. I think there was something about um, when I was a kid trying to like really fit in and trying to be like really like normal um, in a sense. And, and that idea of sort of like, how do I like, how do I eliminate all the things that are different about me and how do I be the most normal so no one can make fun of me and no one can sort of use that against me. That's a tough mentality, I think, to have. And I think there's there are a lot of problems with, like, just trying to assimilate into um, into this kind of society and, and, and losing that element that makes you unique and that makes you different and that makes you you. But he was clever and found techniques. The, the, I think the easiest way to sort of be like, quote, normal, unquote, is sort of to know what everyone else is talking about at all times and sort of like have just that comment or have like a take or an understanding of just like every piece of pop culture and every like movie that's out, every TV show that exists um, and to sort of like ha- hold that with you so that you're never caught off guard as 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 being someone who like doesn't know what's going on like i think that sort of knowledge of 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 pop culture in a sense um is was sort of like this protection in a way and i think that like i think i latched onto that really early because um i think like that it relates to that like that that um, perpetual foreigner thing of like, oh, well, like, obviously you don't watch The Simpsons, for example, because you're Asian, right? Um, there's like, there's that thing. And so like, as a response, like, I always watch The Simpsons. Right. I always like, I always like, I think I like, I tried to sort of like bury myself into um, American or North American pop culture as much as possible. Were you good at assimilating? Um... I don't know. I always like felt like I don't think I was. I I think I always had I always felt like the outsider. Like I always felt like I was slightly outside of whatever like friend group I was part of. And I always like I never felt like I was successfully um playing that part. Mm-hmm. And um I so, I sort of always had this feeling of like oh everyone I'm friends with is better friends with like someone else or is better friends with each other than they are with me. He says race made things not necessarily worse, but more complicated. I had like a lot of white friends or I I knew a lot of white kids growing up and then I knew a lot of Asian kids growing up. And I think like I felt always like not part of either because a lot of like the Asian kids I grew up with um, had immigrated themselves from China. And so they were like 
I didn't have any friends who were like who were children of immigrants. And so and and like I'm not I I don't speak Mandarin that well. And so I always felt sort of left out of that kind of clique. And then I think with the white kids at school, I just always felt like I was like it was that sort of outsider feeling. We're going to jump ahead in time here a little bit. We're going to get to the part of Johnny's life where he finally figured out what was going on with his mind, which happened four years ago, wow. five years ago. How old are you now? I'm 28. <laughs> and it was when I started my PhD program um, at MIT. Bachelor's degree in engineering at the University of Toronto, master's in architecture at Yale, MIT for a PhD in urban studies. And there at MIT, that's where he starts piecing things together. A lot of it was due to um, the internet and sort of me being on Twitter a lot and following a lot of people that I thought were really interesting and, and, um, and funny and, um, and really good writers. And they were all sort of talking about mental health and depression. Um, just in like normal ways, like in in ways that that weren't sort of stigmatized, and I th- I think I hadn't really grown up in spaces where mental health was talked about a lot at all, um, and so I never sort of like grew up with this thought that like depression was something that I could have, mm. or that that mental health was an issue that affected me. Like I just I think I just grew up without that conversation. Um, and without that sort of acknowledgement. Um, and so when I started kind of reading people writing about their own mental health and their own depression, um, I was, I, it felt like this weight was lifted off of me and it felt like this like huge revelation where, um, I was like, this, this is kind of like, this is the feeling I felt all my life that, that no one could have explain to me like that this is the thing that like I was unable to put words to and I just thought it was a normal thing that everyone had to go through and it was not something I talked about that much and it was just something that like I carried with me and being able to see just people writing about it as like an everyday thing and just like this thing that they were able to name was so helpful for me because I was like oh this is this is like that thing that that I I didn't know about like this was a thing that was um it, it felt like this like key that unlocked something and i think ever since that moment and that sort of feeling um i just i had never seen a therapist before i'd never even like talked to anybody about um mental health before and then um when i got to when i got to MIT i um I went to like the mental health counseling services and I just like unloaded and I told them about all these feelings and all this stuff. And I was in a pretty like tough place in school and I was part of like this lab that um, was was a pretty toxic place for me and that um, I was like incredibly unhappy. Um, and and I told all this stuff and, and they, they were like, oh, you it sounds like you have depression and it sounds like you have anxiety and it sounds like therapy would be something good for you. So we're going to suggest a list of therapists for you to talk to. And it just, it was, it just felt, I just felt relieved in a sense that like, oh, this is something that 
like at least there is now this thing that I can do to at least talk about it or acknowledge it. The fact that this understanding happened only after he reached MIT is no accident. I was doing long distance um, with my partner at the time, and um, and I'd moved away from like all my friends from architecture school who all went to different cities, and none of them went to Boston. And it was it just felt like this place that it just made it was a place where the culture there just made you feel bad about yourself and and made you feel bad about like not doing enough and made you feel bad about like being like not good enough um, and there was just a lot of kind of that pressure and I think all of that kind of it, eventually I just started like staying in bed and um, not getting up and not eating and not taking care of myself and not doing any like things that people are supposed to do like I just I remember kind of like just not going to class and kind of bailing on all these things and um like not doing my laundry not eating and at some point I was just like this this has like there has to be something um that that I can do about this um and and I think like because mental health had been so stigmatized or just like not um of like that discussion was not available to me. Um, even like the thought of going to um, that counselor and and saying those words out loud, I'd never like said that. Um, I'd never said like I think I might be depressed. Um, I, I'd never said that until I I spoke to her, and as soon as I I did, I like just started crying because I was just like, oh, this this just feels like this this bottled up thing that um, I was never able to talk about or acknowledge until that moment when I like walked down the long hallway to get to her office and like sat on that couch and and kind of was able to have permission to talk about that. It's funny to me that that somebody who who is such an academic achiever as you is is still like I can't get out of bed and I'm not eating. Could there be something wrong? <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like I, I think, like I'm I think beginning to see like, evidence. <laughs> right, day twelve of this. Yeah, right, <laughs> day twelve. Uh, it was it it. I had like I remember that I just had I had like garbage piled up. Oh, um, in the like in like like next to my bed because I would order delivery and just kind of make sure I didn't like throw it around. Yeah. Like I, like I, I, yeah, I just made like, and I, I took care of myself just enough that I didn't like starve. Uh. And, and it was just like, uh, it was, it was not a happy time. Why did you go to MIT in the first place? I think it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, why does anyone go to MIT in the first place? Which is that, there's often it's this, because they want to and they think it'll be great. <laughs> sure, I th- I think so. Like I I think so, but I also I'm not too, like I, it seems like everyone I talked to at MIT was like we're here because of the like the branding the brand of the school and like mm. how would you turn that down and like why like if you're someone who's wired to sort of um, try to like try to pursue um, sort of like a recognition. Um, and like a validation, I think, um, 
that's the th- that's the thing you go to. You you go you try to you try to go to MIT. Okay, I just want to point out I have nothing against the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, but I do find it intriguing that Johnny says there were so many people there who felt like they had to be there. Compulsory, not optional. Johnny says he ran into that through all the many years of school that he went through, where even the suffering and misery was characterized as positive. And I think there's like this entire kind of mentality in academia where like you're supposed to suffer and like suffering is the thing that everyone does and it's a rite of passage and you get this reward for suffering for years and years at the end of it. Like now having like gone through it in three different schools, um, <laughs> like it, it, it's this thing that I realized was just, it's, it's just this incredibly toxic thing and it, it led to a lot of really like self-destructive behavior for me. Like I would get no sleep for days on end and I would work and try to try to like perform well. It got to a point where like I think my the- one of my thesis projects in undergrad, um, it wasn't even a thesis project. It was just a project for, for one of my classes. Um, but I stayed up for like four days straight working on it. I had to eventually give up because I had ruptured something in my stomach. Um, and like I just had this blinding pain. I never got it checked out, but I would. I just stayed in bed. I, I couldn't take exams because I couldn't get out of bed. It was just this like this moment of sort of like realization that this this can't be nor like this can't be good for you, and this can't be like normal in a way. After I got better from that. Um, I was talking to a friend and he was like, oh, yeah, I heard like last exam season there was a kid who like who like basically worked himself into like having this like medical condition and couldn't go to school. And I was like, that was me. Like, that, was, <laughs> that was that was me. And now I you're a legend. People, yeah, I didn't know that people were talking about that. And I also in my head, I thought like, oh, this is normal. Normal. Like people go through this. Like this is just part of um, part of like school. When my friend said that, he said it in a way of like, like, and what you said, like, he said it in a way that was like, like, this kid is a legend for doing this. Like, this is like, it was like a badge of honor. And right, right. Having like hearing him say it that way and knowing how terrible that was, I was like, how is this, how, how did we get to this place in like, in academic kind of culture that that was the way things were talked about. And that sure taught you a lesson, Johnny. Only two more colleges and you were done. Well, I I mean, that's like, I think that speaks to like this sort of, um, I think I felt, and I I hope this speaks to like other kind of like kids of immigrants or or Asian, like people in Asian communities or um, Asians, Asian Americans, um, where like I didn't know what else do like I didn't like I like school was sort of presented as like the only option for me and I didn't there were no other in my head there were no other like paths towards success or towards becoming someone um, than to just do school there were no other paths towards success or toward becoming someone he says so let's travel back a little and try to figure that one out Johnny's told us about this Chinese-Canadian culture of achievement, but surely not everyone fitting that ethnographic profile was staying up for four days until their body collapsed. 
I was interested in what Johnny's worldview was before he knew he had an illness called depression. It was mainly like, this is just how everyone secretly is. Like, this is just, this is just the stuff that everyone, once they stop, like, performing in their, like, their day-to-day lives, they would go home and feel this way. When I was a teenager, I talked to my mom about it, and I think, like, to her credit, she was like, oh, I feel this way too, but, like, but she was, she just called it, like, sadness. It was just like there was not that conversation again around um, mental health and um, like the actual terminology around it. And so I was like, oh, okay, everyone just goes around carrying this sadness with them and I shouldn't complain about it or I shouldn't talk about it because everyone's going through it. And mm. and then I just like, I, I, I think I used that mentality to just continue to bury it. I, I would be like a bad person to like to talk about this at all to anybody so again johnny gets his diagnosis during his phd program that affords him insight into why he studied until his body broke down in college how he had disregarded his condition as a teenager we got some retroactive illumination going on here folks so let's go back to ninth grade i remember signing up for all the classes and i was like okay i i, I have to take like like physics and English and math and science and all the science courses and all the math courses. Um, but then there was, I saw like drama was one of the options and it was like this moment where I was like, Oh, there's a secret part of me that really wants to take this. And I know I wouldn't be good at it because I'm like terribly shy and quiet and just have like no aptitude for performing. But this feels like something that would, that might make me, happy. He signed up, and a previously unexplored part of his brain kind of sprang open. And it changed my life because it, it, it was, it be, like drama class became the, that, like, the space that I was really happy in school. And it, it was the one class that I looked forward to. And it was like everything else I could do. And I, I was like good at, and I, I knew how to like learn to be good at that stuff. But I didn't really enjoy it. And drama was like this thing that I just, it was just this joyful thing. And it was all sorts of people. There were like um, some of the jocks and some of like the unpopular kids and some, like it was just everyone from all sorts of different aspects of school. And it felt like this sort of secret club where everyone was like, like you, every, when you, when you took drama class, you felt like it was kind of like, I'm only here like for one reason. And that's because I love this thing. Or I want to, I feel like this is like a thing for me. And there was that like secret sort of bond that everyone in that class, or I felt with everyone in that class of like, oh, we'd never be friends outside of this class, but we're both here because we like want to read lines and like perform in front of people. And isn't that like something magical and something that bonds us? I've always loved comedy. And that was part of like, because I grew up watching The Simpsons and watching all these like TV shows and movies. And, well, and you're and in I Toronto, learned, which has so much amazing comedy. Kind of right. Yeah. And I, I think I learned like, oh, if you're funny, then that's also a way to like be accepted by people. Yeah. Um, because if you can make people laugh um, at something you said and not make and not have people laugh at you, um, there's or make fun of you, then you sort of felt like, oh, I'm in control now of the way people sort of um, see me. And I, I have a little bit of control in like how... I can be around others, I guess. And, and, and 
that was the way I sort of um, survived high school. The grade nine acting class turned into a high school obsession with comedy and acting. He wrote plays with no pressure to achieve anything in drama. And he love, love, loved it. Senior year, grade 12, came around. Uh, I was Nathan Detroit in, in Guys and Dolls. Guys so and not Dolls. the lead, wow. but yeah, but the second lead. Um, but there was this real momentum and in my head I was like oh I'm gonna apply to theater school I'm gonna I'm gonna do this um and I told my parents that I think I want to apply for theater school and they were like okay but what about like this career that's less risky and this direction that maybe has a more kind of safe path towards a life that is safe yeah um and my mom basically talked me into engineering um, school because, like, I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be a lawyer. Um, engineering, at least, was something that in my head was like, oh, like, I really love math and I, I, I'm really good at it. And I, I, I like kind of identifying patterns and kind of like fixating on, um, like, the hidden structures and the, the ways that that stuff works. And there was a joy to that, which in my head is like not so different from the joy of writing where you like fixate on trying to get this thing to make sense and trying to get this story to work. Um, so I was like, okay, engineering, that sounds cool. And at the end, you like build things and you make things and there's like an element of, of creative creativity. And so that was like my sort of my like compromise with myself that I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I can find happiness in doing this. And I remember talking to my drama teacher and asking like, well, what do you think? And she was like, my honest advice is, um, if you can like have, if you can find a life and do something that is not involved in the arts, maybe you should try it because she was like, in my experience, um, what did she say? What was the best, what was the way she worded it? She was like, if, if you could be happy doing this thing and not, um, not, not being involved in the arts, maybe you should try it because that sounds like a very happy, safe life. But then she was like, if if you're like me and and you can't do that, um, it'll just come like that. That drive will come back to you like that'll that like you won't be able to let that go. And it'll sort of just like take you away anyway. And it, it was kind of really like in, it was really helpful for me because I was like, oh, maybe this like choice between going to theater school and going to engineering school wouldn't necessarily define be the choice that defined my entire life. Right. Like the way she worded it, she was like, you could try engineering and maybe if you still want to do this stuff, um, it'll find you or you'll find it or you'll be drawn back to it. And I was like, oh, I, that's great. I could still like, and let's see, let's see what happens. Yeah. No, that's very practical advice. Yeah. It was, no, it was really great. And it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. More from Johnny's son in a moment. If you squeeze any vegetable hard enough, it will yield juice. Just like if you put enough pressure and stress on any human, they will yield tears. My life can be summed up as the end credits of SNL, where everyone hugging and I'm the cameraman. My friend asked me if I was happy, and I said, I think I'm going to be. And my friend said, maybe that's the closest we'll come, and maybe that's happiness.
The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses, not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having some laughs on this show, making some jokes. It's a way of dealing with depression, a way of maybe demystifying depression a little bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. This is a serious illness. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. And that's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. That can be an awkward conversation. But makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, like what to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Back with Johnny's son, he gained acclaim and an unexpected comedy career, book, and movie deals out of tweets that were wise, funny, inspirational, sometimes sad. We internalize traits we observe in others as a way to honor and remember them. We are all walking memorials. Nothing lasts forever, I whisper in your ear as I turn to sand. You take me to beach, build a sandcastle out of me, and let the tide wash me away. Armed with the advice that life is not an either-or proposition, no matter how it might appear at age 18, which is so freaking true, by the way, Johnny goes to university. And what ended up happening was I did my first year of engineering school without... Um, I remember I auditioned for something and I didn't get in. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to spend this year just being a good engineering student. And first semester, I failed my like one of my midterms. I like got a 30% on it. Wow. Um, and <laughs> was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Um, and I had this like really, and, and it was the worst year of of college for me because I was deeply unhappy. And I was like, I, there's nothing... I feel like I'm just doing this for the sake of doing this, and there's nothing that makes me excited about any of this. And I felt like I was just like watching the days go by. And um, and then in second year, I I auditioned for um, this comedy show that the engineers put on, um, and it was a sketch comedy musical show. And I got in, and that was like the thing that brought me joy for the rest of of for the rest of college, um, which was just doing this show and like kind of being around people who who wanted to perform and wanted to write comedy and who who just like we were all engineering students who had no time and even so we would like come together after class and and rehearse and write and do all this stuff um, just because we loved it and that was like that was that was the family that I had found by the time he got to Yale and again, Yale is the second school. It goes University of Toronto, Yale, MIT. By then, his Canadian engineer comedy troupe was out of the picture. And Johnny turned to Twitter, especially weird Twitter, the kind of alt-alt comedy accounts that were mostly anonymous and didn't really care about getting famous or whether anyone thought they were funny. He saw this and he wanted in. It's funny because like, there was no real like real thought to it it was just like i saw that there were most of the accounts were like tweeting under like a a funny picture and there was like a crab with sunglasses on or like a blurry jack nicholson um and 
and I and I was just like I need to make something that's really quick and so I just like drew a little like alien face over a headshot that I had and I used that and I was like okay I guess I'll be an alien it made sense because I just moved to the US from Canada I was feeling really um, different and strange um, anyway and and I was like okay like it, it and I started that was when I started coming to the to terms with this realization that like oh I, f- I constantly feel like an outsider anyway so maybe this is like part of my perspective on the world and and so I was like all right cool I'll, I'll be an alien and that that sort of was the the con- like the conception of that and what a great format! What a great platform for someone with social anxiety too. You can you can stay <laughs> yeah. hidden away in a small room and uh, and interact with people all over the world. Absolutely, and that I mean that was a big part of it too. Was like I would never, I I don't think I'd ever do stand up because it, it's terrifying to me. And the only way I performed was with other people in like sketch, and that was scripted, and that was with a bunch of people, and it felt safe in a way. Um, but I was like, oh, here's a way that I could just like write jokes and tell them to people. And the bonus was like no one even saw my face. Yeah. Um, and there was something about that, like there was something about that, like anonymity or like pseudonymity um, that made it really that made me able to really like say real stuff. Johnny was looking to Twitter as a low key, no pressure, fun place to make jokes, an outlet thing is, people loved him. He started racking up hundreds of thousands of followers, including lots of famous people who retweeted him. And Johnny's son became a new thing, Twitter famous. That's incredibly strange to me. And it still is. Like, I still, I think there's like a, there's, maybe this is a benefit of social media or maybe it's not, but there's, (laughs) there's, there's a thing where like, for me, it still just feels like I'm just tweeting stuff into a phone and I do it by myself and like there's no one around me I don't like see like the I'm not performing in front of a crowd when I'm on my phone it's just like me and so it has always felt just like and it's usually like when I'm sitting having dinner alone um somewhere or when I'm like when I'm just like by myself like it's just a way to it was a way I think originally the thing that I really loved about it was that it was just like a way to um, to sort of soothe this feeling of loneliness and this, like this feeling of, of being isolated. Um, and it, it felt like this, this weird way of like safely being by yourself, but also somehow getting that like feeling of connection with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it still does it still doesn't, it still sort of just feels like that. Like it still, I, it still doesn't really register to me that like, people are seeing this in any concrete way and so it's very like it's very um strange and like weird to me that like people um would consider me um like quote famous on twitter unquote because it it just feels like i'm just like doing the thing that i've always been doing johnny has made one change recently instead of using a drawing of an alien on his twitter account and writing as an alien who is confused by earthlings he now uses a drawing of himself and he writes as himself who is still confused by earthlings at some point i realized that like i felt more me and i felt like more um authentically like my identity when i saw the cartoon of the alien than when I saw my own face. And there was something about 
growing up and never feeling comfortable with what I looked like. And I think a lot of that ties to, again, like um, being Asian American or Asian Canadian in this kind of society and and never feeling like seen anywhere and never feeling comfortable with with who you are and what you look like. I felt like when I tweeted and when I saw like what I wrote next to um, the little alien character, I was like, that is genuinely me. Somehow that feels more authentically who I am and this like identity that I've constructed in the way I want to um, and and the way I like that feels right than um, than like seeing videos of myself performing or like seeing like me at all. And I think at some point I was like, I, 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 I feel like there's this tension here and I want to see what happens if I switch it up and and I, I, I want to feel more comfortable with what I look like and and I want to like sort of be able to to do that. Johnny's son is almost finished at MIT. He's just working on the dissertation. But now he also has two books out, one on his own, one with Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's writing for the Netflix show BoJack Horseman. He's writing a movie, and he's still tweeting. And most of what he writes tends to be pretty positive, mostly pretty optimistic, which one might not expect from a depressed person. I try to write that way because that's how I try to think about things. And and I think a lot of that is not me being happy and writing this, but it's me being um, like in a depressive state or me being very um, unhappy and writing this as like an aspirational thing. And it, it's sort of, I think for me, it's kind of like a way where like if I write this and put words to this and, and maybe try to like write this in a way that feels optimistic but not schmaltzy and not sort of like fake optimistic if it if it if it's like sort of it's it feels like when like when I'm depressed and I'm sitting um or like I am a depressed person I'm sitting here and I'm I'm trying to write something that feels optimistic in some way um that's the result of like something that feels genuinely um hopeful while I'm not feeling that personally, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, it's it's sort of just is it I, I think I'm trying to write. Yeah, it, it is, and I, I'm trying to like write that into being, even if I don't like sort of ascribe to it. Um, and I, I think I'm just trying to I'm trying to like put that out there, and 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 i guess like yeah I, I guess i'm just i'm trying to be hopeful about it so you're speaking to us right now from los angeles and and be, because you've you've gone hollywood and you've been sucked in <laughs> oh, by the entertainment industry um, uh-huh. are you now a writer and comedy person who went to school for some of these more technical uh, areas or are you an engineer and architect uh, on a lark before returning to serious business? I am not sure. But I think when I was like doing academia stuff full time, um, I was always the thought of like the reason why, I, like, I think I did all this creative stuff on the side was like, this is the thing, like, m- 
this is the thing that makes me happy and this is sort of the thing that like gets me through this um and i had just been on this academic path because i thought there was no way out like i thought that was the only way um to do things and i thought that was the only path um that a person could take um and now that i'm on this other path it sort of feels like i found this like strange way out of this set path that i thought i was supposed to be in and now i'm going to f- see if this path leads anywhere and if it does i'm just going to keep following it because i'm genuinely really in love with um with doing this uh and then but if like if all this writing and kind of this comedy stuff doesn't work out um part of me still feels like okay then i can go back to this path that i always knew or that i always told myself was the way that i was supposed to go anyway yeah you can always go back to the thing that gave you ulcers and drove you insane <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's this weird, like, uh, yeah, this weird relationship. You're in a situation where you're in at MIT, you're at Yale, you're making these things, and then everybody's talking about you, and then you're doing a book with Lin-Manuel Miranda, and now you uh-huh. you just got a movie deal. Does, does it all seem so absurd that it almost makes it easier? It's such a weird thing to process for me Uh i think like like can you even process it or is it best not to bother i don't think i can because i think as soon as i start to think about it and in any like serious way i just get enormous anxiety Uh and i like i think i just like i (laughs) if i if i think about it at all um it just it just prevents me from being able to do anything because i get in my head and i think i like i i because like i i think i just operate with huge imposter syndrome um constantly and i like and i think like i've been thinking a lot about how like i didn't grow up with like with representation of seeing like asian creative people um as much as i should have right and and there there were there weren't that many like people in comedy or or writers who were um asian and very kind of public um so that my constant baseline is like i'm not meant for this like this this is not a life that i should be having at all right and Everything that comes from it just feels like I shouldn't be doing it, and um, I've like tricked people into into letting me do this. And <laughs> as soon as I get down that, I like spin out into just like terrible places of like I I should just give up. Like this is not um, this is not meant for me. This is like it's a terrible idea that people are letting me do this. When I when I think about it, it gets really stressful for uh-huh. me. And um, and I think the other thing is like, I I don't think I let myself like be happy about it. Like I think I just try to in my head mentally avoid acknowledging any of it anyway. Like I think if I if I let myself kind of celebrate this stuff, then it spins me out into the I'm terrible and people are going to find out I'm a fraud and I'm going to like freeze up um, and get incredibly anxious about it. Like somebody, somebody in the writer's room asked me um, the other day if like I celebrated when, um, like if I went out or I celebrated at all when like the announcement of the movie um, came out. Uh, and I, I was kind of like surprised by that question because in, in my baseline is just like, I, like I, don't celebrate things because I think acknowledging it will yes. will spin me out. Um, so I was like, no, I I 
I like went home and I just like had dinner and went to <laughs> bed. Watch TV. Like, <laughs> yeah. The truth is, we all achieve greatness. The only difference is the size of our audiences. Every flower that grows in a city is beautiful, for the simple fact that it is protesting. A fun prank is when your friend about to sit in a chair, you pull the chair from under them and replace it with a fancier, more comfortable chair. The fog never clears, but we still brave ahead. Our greatest reward is that sometimes we get to meet other explorers. Johnny Sun is on Twitter at Johnny Sun, J-O-N-N-Y-S-U-N. His books can be bought where you buy books. Special thanks to our guest voices, Molly Bloom and Mark Sanchez from the podcast Brains On, Andrew Walsh from the podcast TBTL, Tracy Mumford from The Slowdown, and Francis Lamb, host of The Splendid Table. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is our web and social media doer. Kate Moose is executive producer. Technical director this time around, John Miller. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller, no relation, who has a new album out called The Messenger. It's good to listen to with your ears. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation on that topic can be awkward, but Make It OK has tips on what to say and what not to say. Stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. Hilariousworld.org is our web home. You can listen to all our previous episodes. We're also on Twitter, and come visit us on Facebook. It's a good place to hang out with your fellow thwadballs. New shows emerging out of the ether right there at our Facebook. It's a good hang. On our next episode, Solomon Giorgio knows who he is. Have you ordered a pizza and then pretended for the pizza guy's benefit that there are other people in the house? Oh, I don't play that game anymore, John. No. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> like, if they try to hand me extra utensils, I'm like, no, 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 no. There's a sad person here. You keep that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm John Moe. Bye now. What if I was to tell you this is just grease paint? Would you say I'm a hopeless case? Say it ain't so. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know. Say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know